Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 147. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. We are also joined by a guest. Uh, we found the one person on hockey Twitter who has a right to be sadder than we are about hockey. Um, <laughs> Sabres fan Kevin at NTRider85 on Twitter. Kevin, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for um, recognizing my sadness and asking me to come on. <laughs> I've been a fan of this show for a while, so um, I think it's important to check in on other teams. And uh, I've listened to you guys for a long time, and you know when the Leafs do ultimately lose, I like to check in, especially for morbid curiosity. So if you're returning the favor, that's that's good. <laughs> I mean, I can hardly say it's undeserved, given how how often we just like randomly will make fun of Rasmus Ristolainen well, on on the pod. So well, I'm his biggest defender, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, I think, has a doctorate in complaints about Rasmus Ristolainen at some point. So if you follow him on Twitter, and I recommend it, it's uh, there's a lot of Rasmus Ristolainen facts that kind of bubble up to the surface mm-hmm. about what uh, a great contributor he is. Seven years, um, so, yeah, that's a medical degree. <laughs> that is When you a, put it like that, it becomes even sadder. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, this is not just going to be us talking about how rough it is to be a fan of the Sabres. First of all, the Leafs have once again face-planted an excruciating fashion, so I don't think we're going to get too smug about anything. But as fans of teams that are replete with sadness, we thought that Kevin's perspective might be worth getting. Also because Buffalo was kind of in the news on the hot stove lately because Jack Eichel supposedly maybe wants out of town. Is the impression I get? Yeah, it, it certainly seems like it. Um, I think that it's it's been a a, a long time coming and a long time of uh, people sort of <laughs> convincing themselves otherwise. But uh, I think a lot of the fan base has reached a point of, of realization within the past couple of weeks that this is inevitable, um, especially when you sort of see every national insider um, intimating the same things about the inevitability of it. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's coming any, any week here after the season ends. Um, and I, I, uh, it's, it's probably, I'm to the point personally where I'm moving on to looking into, um, how to not lose the deal that badly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I guess what, what has been your findings in that, in that avenue of research of, because you know, whenever you lose a player like Jack Eichel, uh, it's it's difficult, right? And I know there are uh, some, I guess I'll put it terribly, dumbasses, who think that Jack Eichel is responsible for the fact that the Sabers have been bad. But I think you know we can all agree Jack Eichel is an astounding player. He is you know probably in the same class as guys like McKinnon and Matthews on talent, and he hasn't had you know the situation to really demonstrate that over the course of a full season. Um, so when you lose a player like that it seems very, very hard to not lose the trade. What's the best way for the Sabres to go about it, in your opinion? Well, I just think, I think that my personal end of it is I, I'm interested in the return of the trade because I think it'll say a lot about um, what the Sabres' vision is moving forward here. Do you want to try to do some sort of retool on the fly? Um, <laughs> for me, I'm very skeptical that, that they can they can navigate that pathway of getting a good enough return that helps you now without sort of, um, you know, 
losing long-term value uh, that you would typically expect. We have some suggestions <laughs> right. for that, uh, you, <laughs> I, <you> know, <laughs> which we may it, get into. Personally, I, I think the way you – I don't know what, what your, your guys' opinion is. I guess I'm curious on that too. My opinion is the way you don't lose this trade is by – actually for the first time in a long time acknowledging that you are not close to being competitive and that you need to mm-hmm. to try again to rebuild correctly you know you're, you're gonna lose fans i suppose but but are you gonna lose you're gonna lose those fans anyway with another 78 point season um if you if you don't do something so personally i would use this as a way to say embrace the fact that you know we, we are not a competitive team nor are we particularly close to it there are some pieces that are um certainly helpful they're far far different set up differently set up than they were when they sort of famously tanked for eichel and mcdavid in the first place so it doesn't need to be the same level of of terrible team <laughs> um but actually commit to a real rebuild where you can acquire um you know future assets and in for an organization that cannot and will not optimize their decision making, um, I'm looking for more bites at the apple. And that might, you know, the volume trades can often blow up in your face, but I need them to have some sort of like protection against their own incompetence. <laughs> and the more the more pieces that they can get to, um, you know, to to hopefully work out despite their best efforts. Um, I think if you couple that with a with a, a coach in a, pro, a a development organizational development that is focused on youth and focused on developing young players who are cost controlled team controlled assets coming up together not rushing or pretending that you're further ahead than you are then there might be a way to not lose it terribly they're going to lose this trade on paper everybody's going to laugh at them the day it comes down I promise whatever the return is that's going to be the, the narrative and they've earned that um, but I think that's the way that you can maybe sort of claw back some value, um, if that makes sense. That that actually does make a lot of sense to me. And it would be very honest just to acknowledge, look, the first year after a Jack Eichel trade, you look terrible. Because mm-hmm. you traded Jack Eichel, and he's a premier player. And so in accepting that you have to trade him, you have to accept, okay, I'm not planning to be in the best possible position next year to amass points i'm thinking what is the long-term future of this franchise and the you know every rationale for the eichel trade is we can't sustain this relationship even though we have them under contract so you've sort of i think that you should have like implicitly embraced doing more rebuilding just by the fact that you're even talking about trading jack eichel Mm -hmm. like that should go hand in hand now i acknowledge this in the notes has a Mitch Marner for Jack Eichel trade crossed my mind? Yes. But it doesn't make a ton of sense if I'm the Sabres and I'm thinking clearly, I think. You know, I'm, On the other hand, yeah. it makes a ton of sense for the Leafs. And I think really that's the important <laughs> thing we should focus on. Yeah, us um, the protagonists of reality. But Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it, seemed, it, it feels like a Marner for Eichel swap. And you, know, you can add assets on the Marner side whatever you want. I don't like the Leafs shouldn't really quibble at that point. Um, so yeah, if they want Timothy Liljegren too, it's like, okay, sure. That shouldn't be the deal breaker. Um, but, uh, you know, as you said, Marner, uh, for Eichel would be exactly the type of trade that, you know, you wouldn't want the Sabres to make in this position where it seems they're trying to just get a 
similarly viewed player. You know, I think we would all agree Mariner's a little bit worse, but like uh, it's kind of a current wins for current wins play, uh, type of trade, which wouldn't really be acknowledging that the Sabres uh, are not that close and current wins right now are not that valuable for them, right? The other thing is, you know, the the next few drafts, like this this draft, which is, I guess, the one the Sabres actually got the first overall pick in, um, ironically is, you know, not considered very strong at the top, but the next few very much are. So, you know, there are, there are worse times to, to, you know, trade a star and commit to getting a lot of mm-hmm. picks and potentially lottery picks if, if you can swing a, t- a trade with a team who's maybe not as good as they think they are, even with Jack Eichel. Well, right, and I think the other, maybe the other problem with the Marner trade, from my perspective, um, I, I wouldn't manage the team this way, but I'm hard-pressed to think that... Uh, it's not going to cost a, a little bit of a premium for them to say, uh, sure, let's hand him, you know, a hundred miles up the road to the team we play six times a year. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that's the, that's going to be the biggest story in hockey. If it happens, th- there's a tax that comes with that. I'm sure that the Leafs are probably a little, would then sort of wonder about. Um, and then the other, the other issue, which is sort of more of a Sabres specific thing that I, the concern I have and, you know, we all hear the rumors and rumblings and who knows what's true and what's not, but I think it's probably fair to say that sort of the Marner experience is a pretty, that's a strong um, personality or influence on your team, maybe Marner and everyone around him. Um, I'm not sure that this Sabres organization that is, you know, six people in a, uh, a cramped little office right now is really the best spot to be taking that kind of a player on. He's a wonderful player on the ice, of course, but you run into the problem where what you've done again is just reoriented a, 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 your team around one of the success of one player. Um, you know, and I, I can talk for days. Nobody wants to hear it about, you know, Eichel being a wonderful, terrific talent who will go and succeed wherever he is. Um, you know, but there are problems when you build your team, your hockey team around one talent like that. And you orient everything that it's about, about over around one player. Uh, you create incentives that are just really difficult to overcome. You put your fan base in a position where if that player struggles or is injured for any period of time, there's like this hopelessness and desperation. And oh my God, we have to extend Jeff Skinner for $10 million because he scored with the one guy that matters, you know? Um, and I just think they're they're setting themselves up for the next version of that. If if they were to make that make the kind of trade that is like, let's keep this, um, you know, mediocre, low to to lower middle class um, finishes continuing. It's just not, it's not really the the type of vision that I would want to see from them. Which is to say, it's probably one they'll consider. <laughs> <laughs> That actually is something that I wanted to ask about. We've all heard the jokes about Jack Eichel being the de facto GM of the Buffalo Sabres at various points. And, you know, you were referencing, he obviously has a huge influence. The team tanked to get him. Uh, he is the star player. The fact that he's now having a dispute about the, the process of a surgery, that's obviously, you know, front page news for the Buffalo Sabres. Do you think that Eichel has had a major influence on the front office. Do you think that he bears some responsibility for anything that's I, 
that's worked out, or is it just that the front office has been terrible? Well, undeniably, all of their front offices have been terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think his presence has had a large influence, if that makes if if that distinction makes mm. sense. You know, I, I don't think he came in and, and demanded and asked for every, you know, every um, influence over the organization. But when you, you know, when you tank the way that they did, and I supported it at the time, and will absolutely support that process 100 out of 100 times, um, with the lottery rules the way they were in that specific year, it was there was no other option. It was the easiest decision they could make. But, you know, it's it's unavoidable. You can't ignore what, what he meant to the team at the time and what the connection to that fan base. This fan base that, you know, I can tell you, night after night, like living and dying with hoping that this team lost for a year, it's brutal. Mm. It, and it creates this connection with the reward for that um that's oh we've been you know, no you have yeah and, and you understand that that that's there's an extra connection there right fans are like for what sure. are we like this is you better do everything in your power for this guy like this is what we, what i just went through that for i hated it i had to root for i had to root for the leafs you know um <laughs> and so no one deserves no that. and so then you you know i i can tell you that the the situation that his first coach was dan bilesma fired after two years that that was sort of the big moment when, you know, oh, Eichel, the GM, took over. That entire team hated Dan Bilesma. Um, Jack Eichel gets to wear that because, again, he's the face of the franchise and the, the face of the tank. He was given – I've talked a little bit about this. Um, I'm sure you guys remember he was given an eight-year extension um, at $10 million a year after his second year, so one full year before um, he, they needed to. If you look at that now, that contract at the time was quite a substantial bet on a player that had not really shown a ton at even strength. Um, mm. He's a terrific player at even strength now. He took every step that they bet on. It looks it's a good contract now. Um, but those are things that I do think have influenced the organization in certain ways. Um, drafting Alex Nylander because we need a winger for Jack Eichel. <laughs> um, signing Kyle Poso because we need a right winger for Jack Eichel. How are we uh, valuing Sam Reinhardt as a complementary piece to Jack Eichel instead of maybe something that they just finally this year realized he could be? Um, you know, and then certainly, uh, you know, other, other decisions along the margins coming along. But I, I can't pin any of that directly on him. Um, it, it's just the fact that this is what happens when you orient your team around one player and you don't have the kind of management that is – is strong and, and smart enough to um, utilize that asset in the best way. Yeah, that makes a, a painful amount of sense for sure. Uh, you mentioned Reinhardt and him functioning quite well as a center this year and, you know, how he's been kind of kept in the shadows. And yet Reinhardt also is maybe on the way out or maybe not. He gave a a presser after the year that he seemed like he was a little bit fed up. He could be fed up with a lot of things from Mike Harrington on mm -hmm. down. So I don't want to read too much into it, but do you think that there's a future there or are they also going to look to deal him? I, I've heard, you know, um, th that there's the potential for an extension with him. Um, he, he was put at center partly by necessity and partly by experimentation, um, something that they should have been doing for years when they were out of contention. Um, for folks who don't know, the Sabres fired Ralph Kruger partway through the season. Don Granado took over and sort of immediately turned to this developmental vision for the team. All of their offensive numbers 
got much better. Um, the defensive numbers got worse. But, you know, on the whole, you might see online, if, you, if you're if you generally associated with Sabres fans, um, first of all, good luck. <laughs> Second of all, um, <laughs> fans kind of like Don Granato because he, he made him a little bit more fun, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and Reinhardt playing center was one of the things that has been clamored for forever. Um, I've kind of compared his situation to William Nylander's in the past. I know with, with both of you, just in the way that he's viewed as this sort of complementary secondary piece, strictly because of um, who was drafted, you know, shortly after that with Matthews and Eichel. So um, he moves to center and he scores at a 38 goal pace. Um, mm. Kind of hard to really quibble with it. There's certainly some shooting luck involved, but he's been a good finisher his whole career. So, um, that is what it is. And, and I, I think that there's some, some optimism of an extension. If Granado were brought back, I have heard Don Granado is like the world's biggest Sam Reinhardt fan. Um, which is, is interesting, but at the same time, this is a player who saw his counterpart get a contract two years in, and he has had to fight tooth and nail for bridge deals and arbitration and gone through the same exact level of dysfunction that Jack Eichel has, and he is looking at 12 months to free agency. So why why would you ever do it? <laughs> um, I have mm-hmm. to come back to that and tell myself as much as it would be, I think it would be very interesting to sort of retool with the returns from an Eichel trade, the first overall pick, and Reinhardt back. You know, is that actually realistic? I cannot imagine he's not looking at the calendar, you know? Yeah. But what about the returns of the Jack Eichel trade, the first overall pick, and Mitch Barnes (laughs) or Sam Reinhardt? You might notice that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, you can talk yourself into um, a lot of sort of uh, you know retooling outcomes that might work. Um, I think that if if you're looking at at any kind of a Reinhardt extension and then adding a a player in a one for one type deal, um, there's still a questionable ceiling to that for me. Uh, in the short term, as much as I, I do love the player. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the reason I bring it up is because, you know, as, as it's probably hard to avoid if you're on hockey Twitter in any, in any form, Leafs fans are, are, you know, roster-baiting Marner trades left and right. And, you know, the if, if we think of, like, the galaxy brain meme, you know, the, the small brain is the Marner for Eichel, and then the slightly larger brain is the Marner for Reinhardt type deals. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like that would run into a lot of the similar issues, right? Uh, where, you know, if you're the Sabres, how, how how good is that making you, really? Yeah, and I think that financial issues could come into play there, too, because now the Sabres are taking on more money, mm-hmm. but maybe rebuilding. Yeah, I I mean, look, I've said on, on Twitter, too, I think Reinhardt is, like, the perfect fit for the Leafs. Um, he can play center or wing. He would upgrade, you know, your top six on the wing, your third line at center. He does everything well, but nothing, you know, nothing poorly. He doesn't really need the puck, nor does he need attention or a line to be oriented through him. He has one year left, so you can let him go in free agency and be fine financially or have time to make moves to extend him. I mean, like, it's it just makes perfect sense to me. I God forbid they do that because it would hurt. That would hurt me. <laughs> if it'll set your mind at ease, any every noise that Cal Dubas makes seems to be, I'm going to stick with my core. And, okay, whatever. But 
outside of the it's Leafs worked court. so well so far so it's hard to yeah really i know if it ain't broke <laughs> don't fix it i'm sure but also if you don't touch the leafs core they stop having a lot of credible trade assets like they have a couple of pretty decent five million dollar ish defensemen in brody and muzzin and then they obviously want to retain those guys and then what are you trading so yeah i, I mean i've tried to sort of daydream about this kind of deal because it's one of the versions of a Marner deal that would make me happy and that I can sort of envision on the basis of if the Sabres just prioritize name recognition. But as you've said, I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense. And you see teams like the New York Rangers or the Los Angeles Kings who seem to have a lot more ammunition for a package like you've discussed, like a a rebuild kind of package that's got a pick, that's got you know, a couple of prospects to get excited about. Have you had your eye on any return in particular? Yeah, well, I think there's two there's two classes of teams that make sense. There's the, um, the rebuilders who are getting antsy, and that would be the Rangers, the Kings, and I would include the Ducks, um, who I, I, there seems to be a lot of chatter around them being becoming sort of impatient with where they are. And then there's the teams that are established and good, and they're so well managed that they have cap room or flexibility to, to do it. I've talked about them recently. I think people need to not like Colorado and Carolina make more sense than than people realize too. Um, both of those teams are so well run; they have tons of futures, but they also have the ability to create some flexibility to take that sort of. Um, $10 million asset on. One of the problems with a Leafs trade, ironically, is the Leafs don't really have any bad money to send back unless you want to call Marner's money bad. Mm-hmm. So, like, if, if the Sabres were looking at the Leafs to say, well, we want to make a deal with, with you like we would Carolina or um, or Colorado, the Leafs don't have really, I mean, what's the worst contract that you would send back that wouldn't be hurting the team? I can't think of one. Um you know, maybe Alex Kerfoot, I guess, but that's not really a sizable enough deal to work. So, um, I, I've been, I've looked at those teams. I think Anaheim and Carolina would be the two that make the most sense to me. I'll pick one from each there. Anaheim has the third pick in this draft would allow the Sabres to sort of, um, not just rebuild, but literally rebuild on the same exact ELC timeline for a couple of their players, um, to get two cornerstone pieces. Weak draft or not, that everybody that's picked high in the in the NHL draft has a chance to be good. It's just how it is. Um, so Anaheim makes sense to me. They also have a, some prospects and could throw, you know, a couple of intriguing pieces back along with that pick. And then Carolina offers, you know, this this larger pool of prospects plus um, the ability to not really need the Sabers to do much financially um, if they were to to let Hamil- Dougie Hamilton walk. Or the Sabres could take a player back and allow the Canes to facilitate um, re-signing Dougie Hamilton. So I focused in on those two teams as uh, one from sort of each type that makes some sense to me. I think you could put the Leafs in with the the Carolina and Colorado class. Um, They just don't really quite have the right match of assets to do it, I don't think. Yeah, it's hard to avoid that conclusion, honestly. Um yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it'll be the big deal of the hockey offseason, for sure, if it happens. Uh, and everyone seems to expect that it will, as you've been saying. Um, I know that this is a bit of a painful topic, and you've explored it in great detail. But is there a point where you say this is all 
gone wrong for the Sabres. Like, there's, a, you know, two roads diversion of wood, and the Sabres took the wrong one. And I know it's probably the Ryan O'Reilly trade, but, you know, <laughs> I thought I would ask. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's a combination of just of this lo- not understanding value along the margins for years, both regimes prior to this one. Little mistakes all along the margins. You know, I could go on for days about, like, letting Jason Pominville retire so that you could trade a third-round pick for Jimmy Vesey. <laughs> like, like letting every team around you get Joel Armia for nothing, for the for taking on a bad contract while you, again, trade a third-round pick for Jimmy Vesey or Connor Sheary. But, you know, I have to tell myself realistically, those are the types of mistakes that hurt. They hurt when you add them together, but they are the kind of things you can survive. And realistically, there's two things that have led to, on the ice, that have led to the Sabres being where they are. And it's, they they, they literally traded a top 10 center for less than nothing. And I say that seriously, less than nothing in Ryan O'Reilly. And they have played one of the worst defenseman in hockey, 40% of their even strength minutes for seven years. Like, you just can't get around that. You can't survive that quickly. That takes years to overcome. Mm. It's painful but accurate. Yeah, I I feel... <laughs> I don't want to sandbag it because Arvin and I, all we do is make fun of Rasmus Ristolainen because I guess it makes us feel better about ourselves, even though we've, you know, acquired <laughs> multiple defensemen that we used to make fun of now in Cody Cece, Zach Bogosian, all those guys. But... Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to ask about the Sabres, Arvin? No, I, I just to add on to your point, like the fundamental difference is, uh, I mean, the CC thing was the, was the exception, but like even then, to uh, at a certain point, like we all seem to realize, you know, CC was was the cost of getting off the Zaitsev deal, effectively, yeah. right? Um, and then like Bogosian and even like meme guys like Polak, like we played them as sixth defensemen, so it's like yeah, they sucked, but you know, they're, they're a sixth defenseman, and then you add the unintentional comedy from, like, Zach Bogosian randomly going end-to-end and then realizing just as he approaches the net that he's Zach Bogosian and not, you know, <laughs> Brian Leach. Um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe it's, it's all worth it. But, yeah, when, you're, when you hitch your wagon to Ristolainen for so long, it's, it's astounding uh, to me that so many different regimes just didn't cut bait on him. And there was a there was a point where he had it seemed quite a bit of value because he had the the things that typically get defensemen good reputations. He played a lot, and he had a lot of points because he was he you know at least for my eye seemed to be genuinely pretty good on the power play. I don't know if that's still the case. Yeah, he he was excellent on the power play um, when he was running the first unit. He has not been quite as good on the second unit, but. Uh, maybe maybe a topic for another day I think like when you're on the second unit power play for the Sabres you're just not going to have good results yeah um you know like it's just but um and he did I mean there there's another open secret like sort of among Sabres fans that a couple of years ago um Nikolai Ehlers was on the table for him oh my god um I, yeah I along with you know other stuff here and there i tend to believe that i've i mean I feel, it's I feel, there's too many you know what that, you hear that from too many different places that's dumb enough for winnipeg to do as well so i i absolutely believe it right this would have been when they were sort of extremely desperate for defense so i mean i guess the point is even if it wasn't 
quite that. The fact that that's within the realm that people have heard from multiple places tells you he had value. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, you know, of course, he had value years ago. I mean, what's, what's crazy about it, and you alluded to it, like, no, but everybody has these guys. You can survive having these guys, you know, as your third pair for a couple of years. Like, this is first pair minutes for seven years. Nobody keeps guys like this for seven years. I mean, maybe they do to some degree, but eventually you're the Kings and you trade Jack Johnson for Jeff Carter, you know? Like, you just, I don't know. I don't understand. I think the, the, the fact that it's multiple years, multiple GMs, multiple coaches does suggest to me that there is maybe someone ab or something above that that is influencing it. Um, and, of course, Sabres ownership is a topic for, like, a... <laughs> A totally that could be its own podcast. A true crime podcast, probably. I, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, they need to do like, um, uh, like a a deep dive on what's going on there. But I I don't know anything. I never. I mean, I don't know that for sure. But I have to look at the picture and say what is the other explanation. So, um, I guess the focus of you know Sabres fans now is probably the future right um so to that yeah. end from afar it seems like the two really important pieces going forward are Rasmus Dahlin and Dylan Cousins how have they looked what's the current outlook on them how do Sabres fans currently feel about them because I know with Dahlin you know we've discussed this on Twitter that um it, it's been a mixed bag and it's maybe been a bit below expectations based on the hype when he was drafted yeah, it has. It's it's two years in a row of um, really poor results to start the year, and then a second half where he is basically what you want him to be. Um, people will point to Ralph Kruger's presence as the exact moment that his upward trajectory started to sort of get shaky, and I, I would agree. Um, I think I looked it up before we started here because I figured we'd talk about this. He's like a 52% expected goal player under Don Granato, um, getting first pair minutes on this team. Um, fifty, I think 50 to 52%, depending on where you're looking. So, you know, that's terrific, frankly. Um, he was the player you want him to be those last games under Granato. But I, I think there's a concern level, at least with me, and I'm sure with other fans, to say, you know, when you pick someone first overall uh, on defense <laughs> – and your that player is billed as being sort of a a um, you know I would say generational talent or whatever you want to call it. You you want that player to sort of transcend bad coaching. Um, you want him to do what Jack Eichel has done, right? <laughs> Put up excellent results, excellent numbers with terrible coaches, um, with weaker line mates, with non ideal circumstances, and he just hasn't done that. And he looks like a player to me that's reliant on being in the sort of perfect system and structure to um, to maximize his results. He's struggled with defensive mistakes, too. Um, to bring this back to the, the podcast here, I have compared him to a player that, to me, looks like he's going to be maybe Morgan Riley. Mm -hmm. um, Morgan Riley's a nice player. Dylan Cousins is a nice player. I could maybe compare Dylan Cousins to William Nylander. In terms of ceiling, um, Riley and Nylander are terrific players, but I think if they're your best two players, how good are you? 
you know, um, and, and to that point, I think, like, I can talk about Cousins in a minute, but as far as Darlene goes, um, I'm encouraged by the last half of the season, but I, we can't keep doing this where it's half of season of playing like the worst defenseman in the league and then half playing like a top pair defenseman. It's just, it's not going to work. Um, so it's a big year for him, a huge, huge year for him. One of the um, big stories for their team next year, no matter what they do, rebuild or retool is him. Right. And then Cousins, you think is, sounds pretty good. I mean, William Nylander is certainly, we are obviously huge fans of him on this podcast, but yeah, I think your point of if he's your very best forward, maybe that's not ideal. Right, I love Cousins. He's a player I loved as a prospect. I was happy when they drafted him. Um, you know, his year last year was crazy. He goes from being like the the captain of Canada's World Junior team, flying um, overnight to join the Sabers, where a couple of weeks later he uh, the season gets cut shut down for COVID. He contracts COVID, um, comes back two games after the restart, or a few games after the restart, he suffers a concussion. Then he comes back to a new coach who, um, I think to his credit, and, and Don Granado has talked about, like, we were playing in this in this division where he gets to play Sidney Crosby three nights in a row. Um, and I, I approached him and told him, I know that this is going to be hard for you, but I want you to embrace it and do it. Um you know, he had his struggles defensively when he moved to center. He had a couple games against the Flyers where he really was um, really poor defensively. Outside of that, really looked the part of a, of a number two center to me. Um, I have high, high hopes for him. I think he's, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I think he's probably the Sabres, and I would guess the Sabres themselves see him as their future captain. You know, but um, as much as I love the player, no, I... I I don't think you're going to be a a, um, a a contending team if that's your best forward. So acquiring a forward better than a player who I really like is not an easy task. Yeah, that's uh, that's a difficult proposition for sure. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about like trying to make the the jump from you know bad to good, good to great, and all this sort of stuff. The Leafs have obviously struggled mightily with the jump from good to great. Um, the, the Sabres seem to have struggled with the jump from, you know, low-end mediocre to kind of making it. Because, it you know, there are a lot of, as you say, lots of 78-point seasons. And even years where they don't seem like they ought to be that far off. Like, I thought they were going to rise into the 80s this year in terms of point pace. And yet, it does feel like there's a bit of a gulf between where they are and being anything like genuinely contending. Um, I know this year has been a disaster and like, is it mostly just Ralph Kruger? You think like how much of it was that? Obviously it's, <laughs> it's not only him, but. Uh, yeah, he was certainly a part of it. I think it, we need to be, Sabres fans need to be careful not to just say like, <laughs> you know, they're doing that thing where it's like, something bad happens and Ralph, it's Ralph Kruger. It's Ralph <laughs> Like that, that can be an explanation, but it's not, it, you know, that's not a, it's not the entire reason. I think the young players were, were pretty much not feeling him. Um, he played a very, very defensive system. If you take a look, um, the Kruger Sabres actually got pretty good defensive results. They were a top 10 team by expected goals against um, in his first year. They were tracking 
So, I mean, he, he certainly got some defensive... You know, he has a defensive system that got results. I just don't think it really meshed with the uh, personnel that he had. And um, and so he, he certainly was a problem. Now, that period of time he was here, the Sabres also shot. Um, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, I believe, at one point was down to a 1% on a percentage. Oof. <laughs> so, you know, everything went wrong under Kruger. I don't know how much of it is his fault, how much of the block, the combination of the two are, plus the entire team being COVID are kind of what, what took this season from any form of promise and they did that right away. They were flawed. So then, is it, do you think, um, based on that, you know, a rebuild, if they go down that route again, it's not going to be a a two-year thing, right? It's going to be more than that for a fan base that's been so starved of success, um, you know, for the past decade, really. Do you think that's going to be a tough sell to the fans? And do you think that will impact the Sabres' front office's decision-making? I think it's going to be an impossible sell. (laughs) Um, but I think so is we're just bringing everybody back, you know, what do you do? Like, what, what, what do you do? I, I, this is a question I've had to ask myself, um, as I've sort of gotten on board here with the idea of, of trying to rebuild correctly. Like I can't, I can't tell you what the alternative should be. I, there's no answer, you know, that it's their own fault and their decisions have led them here, but they're going to lose fans either by bringing back the same exact team, except the, the best player on it is is miserable and maybe sitting out, <laughs> or they're going to lose fans who say, "Don't." And I, and I don't blame this fan at all, by the way. I think rebuilding is correct, but how I could never blame a fan that laughed in their face and said, "Sure, <laughs> talk to me when it works," you know. To and I point to like the, the Sabres had the first pick this year. You'd never know it. Mm-hmm. There's no, I mean, I know it's not a strong draft, but you're not going to hear any discussion about it. I, I pick on Pierre Maguire all the time. What's Pierre Maguire supposed to say at the draft talking about the Sabres picking first? Oh, this is going to be the guy that fixes him? <laughs> you know, no, not, none of it has any credibility. Um, so none of their decisions are going to have any buy-in from the fan base or credibility with the fan base until they show some form of success. Um which I would say is an argument for rebuilding. If you're going to lose fans either way, then at least try to do it right and, and, and hope that they come back when you're successful. They will come back if they're successful. Um, how it affects the front office. Last year, you know, the Pagulas decided we're going to cut um, everybody out of the front office and do this ourselves. I think that had embarrassing results that everybody can see every day with their different mistakes. Um they did hire one person, uh, Steve Carmanos, was connected with Carolina and Pittsburgh prior. Seems like a smart guy, a sharp guy, but <laughs> again, it's one person and they're still woefully behind other franchises. So I don't um, I don't know that they're looking to add a ton of people while probably staring down another three-year rebuild. Right, so it's just kind of that thing we used to say about the Vancouver Canucks, right? A rebuild is on you whether you're going to risk it or not. You've already lost whatever you would lose by attempting it because the team isn't really in a position to do much either way. Um, it's a difficult decision, but 
It does remind me a little bit of what the Leafs seemed to come around to in 14-15. After, I mean, by that point, it was coming up on a decade of flailing, not making the playoffs for the most part, sneaking in one time and then getting humiliated. This is their habit. I mean, I know Sabres fans have already been through this, is the other thing. is They've already even embraced the full rebuild. It led to Eichel. Great pick. Hasn't been able to save the franchise for a lot of reasons that you've been over uh it's Mm -hmm. it's a tough um a tough situation and for a fan base that you know we give them shit but buffalo is a hugely devoted fan base um you know one of the number one i think it was briefly the number one tv market in the united states for hockey if i'm remembering that correctly they're always um top five top two they're usually the top market after the Two that are playing sometimes higher. Mm. Actually, notice notable this year is they weren't, yeah. which um, that's not a good sign. Yeah, that it might finally be having some impact on the actual buy-in. And I know, yeah, just I'm yeah. I'm out on the sport entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's pretty rough. And I know that though. I mean, the Bills are are finally good again, and so I wonder if that takes a bit of attention too. But uh, yeah, I think naturally you'd expect the. You know, I mean, I, I give them all. The Pagulas deserve hours of criticism. I guess I can't say it's not. If I wasn't in that position, you know, of course you'd want to focus on the team that's working better. Um, the, the part that they can't seem to get to is, like, that team is functioning properly because you gave it resources and a lot of them, and then you got out of the way. Mm. And, yeah, there's just been no similar willingness for the, the hockey team. None. None. Yeah. All well. right, so moving topics slightly, I guess, away from the, the Sabres specifically and just to, to the Atlanta. <laughs> so next year, obviously, we'll, we'll be back with the, our old friends of the Atlantic. Um, so we will say goodbye to Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver and say hello to uh, Buffalo, Detroit, Tampa, Boston, and Florida. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is going to be an interesting division. Um, how do you see it kind of shaking out? We can kind of discuss this together, but like, I guess first off, where do you see the Sabres in that? Do you think they have any outside hope of a playoff shot with Eichel or without Eichel, assuming they trade him for futures? Um, and then going forward, like, who, who would you expect to be at the top of, of that division? And at the bottom, obviously. Yeah, I think that the, the Sabres are pretty locked into those bottom spots, regardless of what they do. Um, they do, you know, the Eichel trade where they keep Reinhardt, commit to him as their sort of um, bridge captain, and trade Ristolainen. I think they could accidentally be decent. <laughs> um, I don't think that would still quite be wild card, but that's certainly like in in the situation where everything goes right and they get saves, um, that would be their ceiling as a wild card team. But I would put them down there with Detroit um, and Ottawa if if you think they're still a year away from competitiveness. Um, I think the Sabres could be a fun team next year for the eight people who watch them. Um, and I think they would be wise to, to target that and say, we're not going to be good, but we're going to try to get you guys back with some goals. I look at that Ottawa team this year as a pretty good proxy, right? Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I think that they're looking at wildcard only. I think the top of the division is so interesting, though, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Like, the three main contenders, you know, the, the three everybody points to, 
for different reasons, what are their incentives going to be next year? You've got Boston and Toronto, these teams that are, um, you know, regular season juggernauts every year that have their, their incentives to be great in the regular season. For Boston, it's this older team. Health is more important. They've had all the regular season success you could ever want. They're just waiting around for the postseason. This Leafs team that, I mean, you guys can speak to this, like how much is the regular season going to matter next year to you? It's yeah, just I mean, one big long march to the next. Hopefully, we don't. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's very. And then you even, have Tim. Go it's, ahead. it's very kind no, to describe us even as regular season juggernauts because we've. Won't, this has really been our only good regular season this year, and then we. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, some, something happened in the playoffs. I'm not sure what. Um, <laughs> we don't need to revisit that. Um, I think on paper, on paper, you'd say that that's a, a great regular season team, but like. Yeah. No. Absolutely. What? And, what a, yeah. What is their motivation? And and then Tampa is the same, except they've won everything they have to. They could win another cup this year. How, I mean, look at what they did this year. They they just flat out don't care about it anymore, nor should they. So I, I almost wonder if it kind of opens the door for a team like Florida to win the division. That's Yeah, that's an interesting angle on it. Florida was legit impressive to me this year. Like, no qualifiers, because they ran a forward group that is basically Barkov and then Huberdo and then just like, you know, a bunch of guys who I would not have maybe anticipated that much out of for the most part. And right. a couple Quenville kept kind putting of former, them together. Yeah. A couple former Leafs cast offs really in, in Mason Marchment and Carter Verhagen. Verhagen is apparently just legit good now. But I also I'm I'm also kind of refusing to believe that like oh yeah, Mason Marchment is like a first line forward and that's hmm. why they get great results when he and Barkov play together. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not falling for the Marchment thing. The Marchment thing is bullshit. But the yeah, Verhage thing I'm conceding. Is, is yeah. good. Marchman, I think, is like, he is a guy being elevated. Yeah. But still, impressive on the part of Florida, right? So Yeah, and they lost Ekblad, you know, not that, like, pretty early into the season. And mm-hmm. didn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they still have that absolute albatross of a Borowski contract. And he... Mm. has shown little to no interest in playing up to it. But if they get something out of, you know, him and Spencer Knight and them, they're they're an interesting team. Like, I can't mentally put them on a tier with Tampa and a presumably somewhat retooled Boston. But maybe that's just me trying to kid myself that the Leafs aren't going to be a wildcard team because, you know, Florida played quite well. And I don't think Toronto is as good as Tampa or Boston. So that kind of concerns yeah, me. Yeah, me, me too. I, I, I think Tampa and Boston are going to be the two best teams in, in the regular season. And I think Toronto and Florida are kind of in the next in the next mm-hmm. tier, right? And with with Boston, you know, it does depend if Bergeron and Marchand ever, like, age. No, um, they just won't. No. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so obnoxious. We've made, we've made this comment many times, but, like, Every year, at the end of the year, it feels like Patrice Bergeron is like held together with duct tape and unicorn hair, and then he will come back the next year and win the Selkie and put up seventy-five points. Yeah, I always think, or it'll be midway through the year, and I'll think, well, he's got to be in his decline. I'm gonna go check, you know, you dig into the numbers, and he's like, yeah, a net plus twenty percent isolated impact <laughs> every year. It doesn't matter. Like. What? It's so frustrating. And I, I, for, for the record, I, I don't. I wouldn't bet on Florida winning the division. I think it, it's an interesting angle to say, like, kind of what's the incentive base behind these other three teams that have 
I'm they're almost just waiting around to make the playoffs. Um, yeah. The only whereas thing is, this Florida. Say, go ahead. I, I feel like the Leafs don't have the luxury of, of saying that. Like, even though they might internally, like, think it of, like, you know, the only thing that matters is the playoffs, which is absolutely right. true. Because, you know, whatever happens in the regular season makes, you know, no impact to the fan base going forward. But, like, they also haven't earned the right and they haven't been good enough for long enough to actually say, oh, yeah, we're for sure going to be a top three team in this division because, you know, it's the Leafs. They can absolutely fuck things up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess I forgot how close they were two years ago to the cut line, really. Yeah, they've yeah. Uh, flirted with it on occasion. I noticed that we haven't mentioned Montreal, even though they're the team that's, well, they're a team that's still kicking. And I don't know. I always felt like we took Montreal more seriously on this podcast than like a lot of our Leafs brethren because a lot of people laughed at us when it looked like Montreal was dog shit. And now maybe, I don't know how the opinion is sort of mutating. I feel like they got actually maybe more credit than they deserved for beating the shit out of the Jets because the Jets are awful. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I'm going to rant about this for a little bit. Like there's, there's like a lot of... Uh, okay, and like I'm not really gonna blame Habs fans for this because again, this is just one of those things that all fan bases do, and it's just it applies to Habs fans now. But mm. like Habs fans are are going like, oh, you know, no one believed in this team. Everyone's picking the Lightning or, or sorry, the the, the the Knights over us, um, and everyone picked the Jets over us, which which was dumb actually, and everyone picked the Leafs over us, right? This this team is is better than everyone thinks. It's like bullshit. You guys fucking hated this team many times through the season. I saw the Habs subreddit after game five, or after game four, sorry. You guys were ready to tar and feather Mark Bergevin and Dom Ducharme and everyone on that team. So don't give me any of this bullshit of, oh, the Habs are actually really good. No, you didn't think the Habs were good either. You thought they were dog shit. You thought they were a bad team. And they're not a bad team. They're an okay team. But they're an okay team that faced a meme team and a shitty team in the Jets. <laughs> I think that, that feels... I'll say this. As long as the Habs are getting the goaltending that they pay Carey Price for, they're actually sort of intimidating. He hasn't yes. done that for them for much of the past few years. But I suppose if you wanted to make the case for them, you would say, look, we did pay him to be the best goalie in the world when it counts. And now he's being the best goalie in the world when it counts. And he's done that on a few occasions. <laughs> so it's sort of, I guess they can say that having like a great team save percentage in the playoffs is part of their strategy. And so you can't totally yeah. say it's a fluke when it does happen for them. No, and, and they're, they're a good, they're a genuinely good five on five team, but they don't have, mm. you know, they still don't really have finishing talent and they're mm. awful at everything. No. That's not five on five. And it, it like, it's not a grand conspiracy that people are picking the fucking golden Knights ahead of you. Look at that roster. They're so good. Yeah. That's true. You know, like, I don't mean to, you know, I hate to come on here and be nice to the Leafs. That's the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> but, like, I'm sorry, but if you keep, if you get outscored by eight goals every seven games in the regular season, like you did in the Leafs series, is, I don't know, is that what it was? Eight goals, something like that. Like, you're going to be a 500 team like you always are. Yeah. Like, you just, you know, that you don't sequence goals that perfectly for 82 games. You just don't. Mm -hmm. So, they are what they are, and they got outplayed and outscored in the Leafs series. Their goals came at the right time. And then they beat up on, you know, the worst team in the playoffs for four games. If you think that's a sustainable way to, to be a top three team in your division for 82 games, I would argue that the results speak for themselves, you know. And the price thing, I think it's 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 enough of a sample now to say there's 
there might clearly be something going on where like he's turning it up for the playoffs and, mm-hmm. and is is, cap- is not capable of sustaining that um, over a long sam- a large sample. And if that's the case, then he's doing the correct thing. But they're going to just be a team that's always a wild card team that is sort of threatening for whoever they play in the playoffs. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like an underdog hero sort of team. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I look at this and I keep thinking Tampa will finally experience a salary cap for the first time this offseason. I'm being a bit glib. And I, by the way, I just want to say this as an aside. The Kucherov thing, everyone is silly about on both sides, I feel like. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not mad about anyone kind of gaming the salary cap because, again, the Leafs have done that 500 times in different ways. But it's also a bit precious when everyone's like, we would never at all elongate a man's re- rehab period for cap benefits. It's like, okay, come on, though. Like, you don't have to lecture me on it like we're a church. Like, it's it's fine. It, it, I'm sure he had, you know, a real injury, a real surgery, obviously. That's not fake. But I think the timing was massaged. Anyway, it seems really well, obvious. Well, it's also yeah. the Kucherov, holding Kucherov out of the regular season basically forced them to match up with a really good Florida team in the first round. They could have lost that series. Yeah. Right. So they didn't face no consequences for it. They look at their road to the to the final. I mean, that's a that's a tough road. That's true. Yeah, left on set is that, you know, some some teams are like, "Oh, you know, we should, I guess we should just do this for our stars." It's like, "Well, are you sure you're going to make the playoffs yeah. if you right. you're missing an MVP caliber player?" Right? Like if, if Edmonton does this, they're in contention for, you know, Connor Bedard or whoever. it's true yeah i I mean it's it is a sort of uh a luxury option for tampa just to be that good where you can do that with confidence uh and even as you said you know they still did underperform in the regular season to some extent um you know i think like the like one of the biggest advantages in hockey I, i think about this uh in the other direction for the sabers like the biggest advantage in hockey is it sounds stupid as being a good team. Mm. You get better deals from your um, internal play, free agents. You get um, more, you know, undrafted free agents and European players signing. You get better people who want to coach or scout for you, and you get the ability to have do flexible things like this and not be not be on the edge of the playoffs. And the opposite is true for bad teams. It's like the the great tax of of the good or bad teams. That's how it falls. Mm-hmm. So they've earned it. And that's how I look at it. Like when you're sustainably good for 10 years, you, you earn the ability to do this. Yeah. I mean, we saw it with Chicago's free agents for the longest time. You know, they would get Brad Richards to come in and play third line center or whatever for $0. And yeah, just to be as good as Tampa has been earns you certain privileges, I suppose. But yeah, they do have to, the Blackhawks. Yeah. And the Blackhawks did the same thing with Kane won playoffs, um, yep. if I recall correctly. And mm-hmm. you know, again, they were a team that was good for a long time. It, it's what I, you know. The Leafs get some of that benefit too. I don't know if it's it's like success, reputation, geography. You know, and not every team in hockey can sign Jason Spezza for a million dollars. Some of that is is you know the luxury of being where they are, but some of it is that they they do you know as much as we laughed about their regular season. They do have a sort of, um, you know, they've earned the right to, um, or the playoffs, I'm sorry. They've earned the right to be able to sell a free agent like that on, hey, come here and, 
you know, we're going to be a playoff team. Um, so that that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Boston has a lot of choices ahead of them, I think. And I keep hoping that they'll screw them up. But as we've said, as long as Bergeron refuses to age, it they will almost automatically be at least decent. But, you know, they've got a choice about Taylor Hall. Um coming down the pike. They've got a choice about their goaltending, about David Krejci. Um, I could see them falling off, I guess. I want to believe that they could, but uh, that might be just wishful thinking on my part. I don't know. Um, yeah, you, you know, I look at this division, and I'm not comfortable as a Leafs fan, for sure. Like, no, I think especially... That, yeah, especially yeah. with... I mean, how, how can... I mean, this is this is, I guess, the the you know richer person's problem uh, that the Sabres fans have. It's like, how can Leafs fans uh, have any faith in this team to do anything meaningful in the playoffs? They won't until it happens, effectively, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could be running out Matthews and Tavares, one and two C, and then Nylander and God as our <laughs> wingers, and I'd I'd still be skeptical, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, they're they're guaranteed to get a tougher matchup in the first round of the playoffs next year. Almost guaranteed, right? Pretty much, yeah, absolutely. Like Montreal was again. You know, I don't think any Habs fans consistently listen to this. Uh, I, no one's mentioned it to us, but you know, the Habs were you know probably the second worst playoff team after the Jets, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or maybe the or like I mean, you you could argue the three worst playoff teams were in the North. Yeah. That's All right. I guess the 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 Panther, not the Panthers, the um the Predators, uh, were yeah. were probably the other people who you'd probably who you put in that mix. But yeah, I mean, jeez, mm-hmm. or the Blues. Yeah, the Blues suck. I mean, I don't mean to like you know to to kick you guys when you're down, but you do know <laughs> that like the logical progression here of the Leafs like losing to funnier and funnier teams in the first round is for the Sabres to sneak in as a wild card and the Leafs to win the division <laughs> and then for the Leafs to lose to the Sabres in seven games. I have... I mean, yeah, I'm, all I'm saying is that's just that's next if you look at it. I, I, you know, at that, at that point, I have expected that to happen some year. I, I genuinely <laughs> yeah. have been like, that's where this is going. Every joke I make about Buffalo is mortgaging the future laughter that will come my way when the Leafs somehow blow a series to... Friggin' Dylan Cousins and friends. So. Rasmus versus line in game seven overtime winner. It's, he does. He he loves playing the Leafs. Ask ask anybody. Yeah, it's a, a point shot that you know, like deflects in off forty five different people. Oh yeah. Well, and and there when I was kicking around Colorado ideas um, with Eichel, all of them involved like Kadri's money coming back and then you know flipping Kadri somewhere else. And um, I was discussing it with some friends, and they're like. Well, you kind of have to keep Kadri around because in the off chance that that matchup, that playoff series did happen, like, my God, that would just, like, <laughs> the, the discourse levels on that with him playing in that series, I can't even imagine. Oh, so. God. <laughs> it would be the first time he doesn't get suspended, too. Fuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of unprocessed trauma right now. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it does bring into relief. And, I, I mean, I know that we're primarily making our listenership very sad here but it really just drills home again and again what an opportunity the Leafs pissed away this year like Mm -hmm. Montreal is about I think as bad a team as you can reasonably expect to play in the playoffs like they're a legit playoff team 
but they're like middling. You get to play them if you're a top team, which Toronto probably won't be the Atlantic. The Jets straight up suck. Like as long as Connor Hellebuck is only human, that team should not be in the playoffs even. So yeah, I, I mean, they will not get a better pathway that I can foresee. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the easiest path the Leafs would have had for 10 years. Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, God is dead and we're sad. Um, <laughs> you actually had some thoughts about divisions in general and their impact on stats that you were mentioning beforehand, Kevin. Yeah, no, I just think, like, um, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of, like, where are the Leafs going to reintegrate in that division next year? I mean, I, if you look at the outcomes, I, I kind of wonder, you look at Colorado and Toronto, um, and then just sort of the top and the bottom of the league, and I am inclined to understand that it's probably just hockey being hockey and, and Colorado playing maybe the second-best team in hockey and losing to them, but... I do wonder, like, what is the impact going to be on team-level stats when these teams stop um, playing the same six teams over and over? And I'm curious if you think that that, if either of you think that that affected what we saw at a team or individual level, because um, I sort of see this idea of, like, if you're a dominant, if you're a very, very good team in hockey and you have the ability to sort of play the same uh, bottom of your division over and over, and really, really learn how to unlock those teams and then use your talent to just beat up on them. Like, is that something that that affected the, the levels that we saw? I think Colorado finished with the highest um, score-adjusted um, expected goal rate since the Red Wings of 2008, um, maybe even higher. Um, you know, and there are other teams that are sort of um, putting up high point shares. And, like, is that was that a product of the division in the schedule this year? Are those teams genuinely that good? What do the playoffs say about that? I don't know. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to find out. I'm very curious to see like what is um, what is Colorado and, and Toronto and look like next year. What do some of the weaker teams in the stronger divisions look like? What does Vancouver look like? Although the Pacific Division is still kind of um, weak, so I don't know. Do you, like I think that I personally think we're kind of all going to look back in five or six years and say boy, some really funky statistical stuff happened in that COVID year. Mm. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. But what do you think? Yeah. I think I can go either way. I mean, there, there was definitely a lot of people who argued, okay, like Matthews and McDavid outlier point seasons should be taken with a grain of yeah. salt. Um, and I, I think people, again, similar to the to what Fulman mentioned about the Kucherov thing, people overstated it on both sides. Where like some people are like, oh, you know, the North. Is, I know you memed about this, but like some people were genuine. Oh, the North is so awful. It's like a, it's like a CHL scores and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> right. And yeah. Like, I was kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, okay, come on. Like these, these are still NHL teams, and you know, teams in the North. There are some bad teams, but they don't also don't play. You know, Buffalo. No offense. Uh, or or Detroit, mm. or you know, the California teams, right? And those those are really awful teams too. Um, it, with the North specifically, I'd say the North's issue is more that it doesn't have it didn't have really any truly outstanding teams besides arguably the Leafs, and then that kind of got blown up in the playoffs. I think other divisions had one to two really really strong teams, um, and the North had one at most, and maybe not even that. Um, but yeah, like it, it's it, it's weird. It's such an odd experiment, right? We've never seen something like this in a in a major sports league. Um, where, you know, for one year, everything becomes, you know, essentially four self-contained leagues. Uh, 
And I, I feel like the results are not going to be uniform across divisions. I think this is one of those situations where maybe styles end up mattering. Um, so it, I think it's really hard to say, but I, I do kind of agree with you that we're probably going to see some, we're, we're probably going to look back on this and be like, yeah, that, that was like a weird season that resulted in some, some odd circumstances and, you know, some crazy individual point years, um, as well. One, also, one, the other thing maybe worth noting is that like something that NHL players have mentioned for a long time is like a big detriment to their performance is travel. And the amount of mm. travel you have to do in a, in a regular season. Now, that was mitigated somewhat because so much of the of the season was played in, like, miniseries. So there's less travel, more, more games where, you know, two teams were just in the same spot for maybe five days and played three games. Um, and I wonder if that had an asymmetric effect, maybe helping offensive players more than defensive players in, in, in some divisions or, or vice versa. Um, or if it just kind of resulted in kind of talent differences being able to be made more obvious over the course of a season. Uh, yeah, I look at it from like the like if you're if you're the opponent that plays Colorado on a back to back or four times in six nights, like what does that feel like the last two nights? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, there was a fame an infamous week um, from my perspective. The Sabers played the Islanders three games in a row during one week. Like, that's got to be that. a miserable experience. It was miserable as a for a fan too, by the way, but like. I think that has to affect both ends of things to some degree. I mean, travel or not. And I'm someone who thinks, by the way, that I hope the NHL looks at this and implements more home and homes. I mean, I love those when it's a regular schedule. Um, or I'm sorry, not home and homes, but more like back-to-backs. Like, why why, why does a Friday-Saturday series have to be home and home? Just play it in the same arena um, and then return the favor in a month. And that cuts down on travel, too. So, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I do... Every time I look at the Colorado Avalanche stat profile, I'm a bit like, this is too much. You know, I just, I like my yeah. personal incredulity about like any team being that dominant. Because again, as you said, by XG, they were, uh, I believe, the most dominant team of the fancy stat era. I think they were ahead of the Red Wings. Uh, I think they passed them like in the last week. Yeah, yeah, you know, they were at 61%. That's a really high level of dominance. And we saw this echo through the... Uh, the stats conversation about the awards voting where people were saying I could give it to any of three Colorado avalanche. That's the kind of result where, and I know that this is just kind of caveman brain almost, but I just look at that and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like something (laughs) funny is going on there as good as they are as good as Colorado is. And I picked them to win the West. I thought, you know, I thought, okay, they're clearly the best team, but like something funny is going on there. And I do think that their results might look a bit still great, but maybe less annihilating. I think the Leafs also are probably going to come back to earth a little bit next year statistically, just because they will have to p- to play a-, a few more genuinely good teams. So, yeah, I-, I do buy it to some extent, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's... Uh, again, we've kind of hit this home with the past two pods, but like, there was never a better chance for the Leafs than the last than this season that just passed, and um, we kind of fucked it up in pretty embarrassing fashion. So <laughs> we got that going for us. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I I do think that um, it was good to get Kevin on because obviously, you know, he has an intimate experience with a fan base 
that has been not really well rewarded for its loyal support um, in a more extreme fashion because, you know, they haven't even been given the regular season success that, frankly, they deserve. But there is a real question, I think, in Toronto now of what is going to get people excited again? And half the history of the franchise is testament to the fact that you can put a pretty bad team out in Toronto and still sell tickets. But I can't remember a time since certainly the the rebuild began where it felt this empty to be cheering for the Leafs where the, you know there's just not that much to get excited about and there's a real sense of missed opportunities um yeah i and i i mentioned um sort of at the end of the playoffs uh when the Leafs lost that series i that is a, a thing i do genuinely feel bad for Leafs fans about i mean i've experienced that from a different angle but it's it's just really yeah it's just really um unfortunate to not have to feel like you're waiting around for something to for the other shoe to drop almost and i think um tampa losing to columbus that year following um is maybe the the model that the leafs are probably looking at um from a management perspective to say hey you know they didn't overreact they brought everybody back they they went they they did it again. They learned from it, and we won the cup, and that's wonderful. But it probably didn't make the regular season experience any more gratifying for fans. So I guess that's what you do: is you just hope that you see subtle things within the team structure that you think means that they're going to not disappoint you again. But man, that's tough over five, six months. Yeah. So look for us to get increasingly desperate in how we generate content throughout the next year. We're gonna get really weird. <laughs> So, yeah. You guys are all welcome to come over to the Saber side. It's rewarding. <laughs> it's fun. They score a lot of goals. Um, it's excitement. It doesn't sound like a funeral when they're playing at home. Uh, oh, man. The Sabres, the Sabres crowd is, is genuinely much, it's so much better than the Leafs crowd. The Le- actually, the Sabres crowd, the, the, the best Leafs crowd that exists are basically away games in Ottawa and Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, those games are like, well, they're not as when when they're competitive, they're they're extremely fun. I was watching an old Sabres game during co uh, during the pandemic. You know, they like replayed a bunch, and it was was one of those crowds. It's like seventy five, twenty five mm. Sabres fans at home, but that's like the perfect mix of of bodies to get everybody's like most uh, aggressive or or excited and 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 whatnot um, reaction. And it was like a regular season game. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of miss now it's, that. It's, yeah. It's just Leafs fans there now. You know, it's, I don't begrudge the, the Sabres season ticket holders who say, um, well, I'm going to make my money back on these four games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so I, yeah. I think that's everything that we wanted to cover. Um, sorry, Fulham, I might have cut you off when you were trying to say the exact same thing. <laughs> that's on brand. Um, yeah, so... Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. We really enjoyed uh, having you on. Um, is there anything you want to plug before you head out? Um, yeah, I guess um, a buddy of mine and I, another Sabres fan and I, do a little podcast. Um, it's not about the Sabres, though. It's about music. Um, it's called Between Two Rebuilds, which is ironic now because we started it this year and they didn't even give us like 
the joke was we were going to do this thing for a couple of years before they decided to rebuild, and they couldn't even give us that long. So anyway, you can find it on Between Rebuilds on Twitter. Um, there's no two in the Twitter handle. I retweet the account a lot or tweet about it a lot, so you can also find it on my feed. Um, we've had an opportunity to talk to some really cool people. Uh, the idea is to get people from the hockey world on, um, talk to them about um, music that they're into. Um, some of them from the Sabres Twitter community. We've also had, uh, you know, we had the Evolving Wild Twins come on. Uh, we've had fans from other fan bases, and we're actually um, excited to be recording next week with Micah McCurdy, who everybody knows. Um, so lots of the people that you see talking about hockey every day, except you can hear them talk about another topic um, altogether. So we've had a lot of fun doing it. If I can plug that, that'd be cool. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds very good. Um, as for Fulman and I, you can find a lot of our stuff on TensionPlanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFulman. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon.